0: Welcome to this week's Political Books podcast with me, Ian Dale, in association with politicos.co.uk. With me this week is Damien Barn. Now, he wrote a book uh, called Maggie and Me, and it's one of those books that has had quite a long shelf life, which is always rather good, because nowadays a book comes out and sort of three months later everyone's forgotten about it. But um, Damien, first of all, welcome. Thank Um, you. When did the book actually come out? It came out two years ago and it came out the week that Margaret Thatcher died. That's right. That's that's why I first obviously knew about it. And... But yet you're still going out there promoting. You've just been telling me you just come back from Australia and New Zealand talking about it. Yeah,
1: I just got back a couple of weeks ago. I mean, as you say, there's this thing where, you know, publishing is a very fast industry now. It's almost trying to match the news cycle. Um, and I thought, you know, my book would come out and then, and then go away and I could kind of get on with my life. But really, it's taken over my life for the past mm. two years. And it just seems to be all I talk about. And I'm not complaining, um, but it just seems to keep finding... Uh, new, new audiences and every single day since it's come out every single day I've had either a tweet or a letter or a Facebook message or something from a reader and they all have different stories but they all connect with it
0: and that's really what you want as an author, isn't it? Because if you can connect with your public, I mean, that that's half the battle. And I suspect that's why it's had such a, a, a long shelf life. I did wonder when it came out with the title "Maggie and Me." Now I know mm. if it came out the, 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 the month of her death, that that was
1: probably a good thing. But I wonder whether it might be off-putting to some people. Oh, totally. I'm sure. I think that's one of the reasons why. It's finding new audiences. is That some people will have seen that title, and also the hardback had her on the jacket. And there were some people I know who would not pick up a book with her on the cover or her on the title because <laughs> no, she's been very popular in Scotland. The paperback, though, it's not got Maggie on the cover. Um, and of course, if you read it on, online, then uh, then it doesn't matter. But yeah, there were definitely loads of people who were put off by that by that jacket, and probably some people also who picked it up thinking it was going to be sort of either purely political mm. um, or. Purely Purely sort of praising of her who might have been disappointed too. So it was definitely a controversial jacket and title.
0: You've become a little bit of a sort of publishing sensation after this. It's won various awards. Um, But tell us what you were
1: doing before all of this. Well, before this, I was working mainly as a journalist. Um, I started off working at The Times when I left university editing their student paper um, and then I sort of moved more from journalism into doing events, specifically around books so I've been running my own literary salon now for seven years um, and we started that at Shoreditch House and now we're at the Maundry in London, just down the river um, and that is where we have authors come along and they read from new work, always new work. Mm. So people like David Nichols who launch one day. Diana Athill will be launching her new memoirs there in December. So always new work, and then I interview them on stage, and it's it's pretty straightforward. But you know that that is um, that's continued all the way through the publication, and, and hopefully I'll never stop doing that. Um, but you know certainly the book's success has, has taken me by surprise.
0: <laughs> Well, for those who haven't read the book, t- take us through sort of what what prompted you to write it because it's I mean, it's an interesting story because I suppose people think well, if it's got the title Maggie and Me, it's mm. all about Margaret Thatcher. Well, it, it's a bit different to
1: that, isn't it? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, and um, it's not a political memoir. She is in there. Um, every chapter starts with a quote from Maggie, and whether you loved her or whether you hated her, she did. You know, get very good quotes, and mm. I, oh, no, had I, I edited a book of them. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I had to pay to use them. So I like whenever did I you? do, I did. I had to pay. No. To, I had to pay the estate to use them. Of course, it's Thatcher. You're not going to get it. I never free. did for my book. Oh well, you know, you'll be, you'll be you're <laughs> the knock on the door. I'm sure, I'm the so knock part on the door. The Thatcher family, I think. But uh, um, um, every you know, chapter starts with a quote from her, and there are good quotes in there. Um, but um, basically, the memoir is my childhood in the eighties, growing up in the west of Scotland, and I grew up in what was there was a pit village and then a steel village um, next to Ravenscraig, which is the biggest steel works in Europe. And my dad worked there. Um, And really, when I started to write, I didn't write a book, I didn't start writing a book, I started writing down recollections, little moments, things that kept coming back to me. And what I realised was that lots of what happened in my house, in my village, in my country, happened because of Thatcher, because of decisions that she'd made, you know, in Downing Street. Um, the decision to close the steelworks where my dad worked which destroyed the the community um, that I grew up in the the decision to create section 28 which made it really difficult to talk to my teachers at school about about being gay Um, the decision to go to war um, you know, in, in, the, in, the Falk, in the Falklands, which to us in Scotland just seemed so, you know, so, so far away. It's funny because most you of us thought the Falklands were just off Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not even that far. <laughs> but, but, you know, and, and so, so there are all these decisions that she made and, and I realised that she shaped my childhood just as surely, really, actually as any decisions that my parents made. Um, and so, you know, I felt in some way like I had a kind of relationship with her. And she was on every TV channel. She was in every newspaper. She was blamed for everything that went wrong still in her house. And she still, has, she's not gone away. You know, she's 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 dead, but she's not gone away. And I knew actually that was one of the motivations for writing the book was that I knew that 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 when she died, everybody was going to rush to deliver these preconceived opinions and she was the best thing, she rescued this country she was the worst thing, she destroyed this country and actually for me, the truth is kind of somewhere in between because yes she did lots of things which devastated my community and which affected me very adversely, Um, but she did also show that you can be your own person, you can make your own life Um, and she was a a woman and she did not have the same background of privilege that everybody had around her and she stood out and she, she was different And I felt different for all sorts of reasons. And so to me, actually, she was quite inspirational um, in in lots of ways. And also, I felt sorry for her because everybody hated her. Um, You know, and I thought, well, what's she done wrong? (laughs) You know, I kind of felt sort of sentimental about her, curiously. But um, so, yeah, so, I mean, the story is the story of how she shaped and and affected my life. I think that's really interesting for one particular reason
0: in that on my radio show people constantly phone in and saying that well politics is totally irrelevant to me nothing they do affects me and yet Mm. you're saying that all of these decisions actually affected you and your family sort of uh, well in many ways adversely so political decisions made by an individual politician can have either very good effects or very bad effects why do you think it is that people don't understand
1: that now It's interesting, isn't it? I I think partly then there was less noise... So it was easier for any politician to cut through, you know. Um, the, the the you know there, were, there weren't the, the abundance of news channels. The, the the internet wasn't a thing. So you know, our voice could be heard. So I think that's part of it. I think secondly, her voice was so clearly her voice. Mm. You know, this wasn't a politician who was being run by committee, or if they were, you know, it was it was being done very cleverly. So you know, she had these views which which provoked people, and they could agree with them, um, or they could disagree. With them, but it was really clear what she was saying, and I think now again, you know, in the area of the of the committee politician, um, you know, the focus group politician, it's hard for people to kind of trust or believe necessarily that somebody's going to do what they say they're going to do. You know, when the lady's not for turning, you know that you know we, people bought into that whether it was true or not. Um, and now it's hard It's hard to see, you know, people appear to be on a roundabout. So I think that's it. And I also think that we live in a more globalised culture where the, where the things that affect us don't just happen in Westminster, they happen mm. in Washington or they happen in Nairobi or they happen in Dubai. And I think that, you know, we're much more globally connected so that there is, uh, you know, other forces at work.
0: So, so you think it's unlikely in 2035 that anyone will write
1: Dave and, me, I think. I think that that is unlikely. I, th- I think that is unlikely. That's quite sad, actually, isn't it? I think. It, I think it is, and people have asked me that before. And I, but I do. I don't think I that he. Being original. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that he will. I don't think that he could have that effect. I think it would take. A leader of almost maniacal intensity uh, to, to, to break through. I mean interestingly I think somebody might write Obama and me because I think that that is historically significant and I can see that they're the politics of identity which is really the story of now. Mm. Um, would, would, there would be a resonance, the resonance for Even that. Even
0: though he's been a huge
1: disappointment. He has been to lots of people but I think that if we look at the, and I think that would be part of his story, but I think that at the beginning that message of hope You know that sense that um, he he could offer something that nobody else could offer has ever been able to offer would definitely uh, work for some people. What's been the reaction of people to
0: the book? I mean, some some people have described it as a a bit of a hard read because there's some quite traumatic Hmm. sections in it. But you you use humour brilliantly in it. It's often very understated. Uh, is that just sort of your natural writing style, or, or or did you think, well, I want to write it in this particular way?
1: No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't set about to write it in a particular tone. I mean, I I think it took me seven years to do the book, and when I started it, it was quite angry, and for the reasons you say, a lot of it is quite traumatic. Bad things happened, mm. you know, very bad things happened to to, to me um, and to people in my family, um, and there is a lot of. You know, uh, abuse in the book, although that's not a word that I that I have, that I ever use. So you know, I I wanted to be honest about the things that happened when I was growing up, and a lot of those things are very difficult and painful, and they were really hard to write. So it's not a surprise that some of them are really hard to read. You know, um, but. Um, there is humour in there, and that's because it was funny at the time. There were things that were funny at the time. I think Scots are really good at a kind of gallows humour. I call it Glasgow Gothic. <laughs> um, you know, and if and if and if the Labour Party can't have a wee laugh at what happened at the last election, then they really are screwed. But but you know, I think that that you know that is part of it. I think what would be wrong, what would be disingenuous, is if I went back and put in kind of funny bits to. To offset the horror, to offset the mm. darkness, you know, and I did do that in earlier drafts, and it felt hollow and it didn't work. And I thought, actually, I just need to be honest about when it was funny and honest about when it was painful, and hopefully, there's a, a kind of balance.
0: And what's been the reaction from sort of friends from the time, wider family? Because I mean, that I'm mean, writing a book like that must be quite. I mean, I've got somebody else who I shan't name mm. who. Oh, is go a, on. Well, no, it's actually from a almost the same area as you, It's written, so I won't say it's the same, but something vaguely similar from a different perspective. And he decided that he couldn't write it while certain people were still alive.
1: Mm. I I think you can't wait until everybody's dead to start living your life. Um, And for me, writing is a really important part of my life. But I absolutely struggled with doing this for a long time because I didn't want... Um, I didn't want people to think ill of my mum or my dad Mm. or, you know, I didn't want people... More than anything, I did not want people's pity, right? I did not want people's pity. And that hasn't happened I haven't had that which is huge relief and most people have been incredibly generous about my mum and my dad and I think that's to do with the reasons that I wrote the book I didn't write the book to get even with anybody or to make anybody feel bad or look bad or anything else I just wanted to show you this is what it was like for me growing up in this place in this time that was shaped by this woman right that's really all I wanted to do um, and the reactions have been really varied um, I only shared the book with one person who's in the book. I didn't share it with my mum or dad before it was published. I shared it with my friend Heather, who was my best friend, and who is still very close to me. We all have a Heather. We all have a Heather, and we we will all always have a Heather, hopefully. And so I shared it with her, and she was great, you know, and I said, look, you can change anything you want, because you took responsibility for me, you loved me as a person, you looked after me, you can change anything you want, and she didn't change a thing. Um... And I really would have let her change anything that she wanted to. And I didn't share it with my parents. And actually, neither of my parents have read it. Really? Yeah, neither of my parents have read it. And I, and, and no, that, that, that's true. Do you really think Oh, well, they, no, I know it's absolutely true. Really? I know it's absolutely Why? true. Ne- because they both said that they find it too painful. Because there's a lot in there that they don't know. You know, as a kid, I was told a lot by my mum's my, by my partner and by other... Adults who harmed me. You've got to keep this a secret, or you should be ashamed. You know all of these things, mm. and so I did keep secrets as a child, and I did tell lies, which I hated. And for me, this memoir was an opportunity to tell the truth, and I wanted to tell the truth. Now, my parents don't have to read it for it to be true, um, and that's all right. I'm all right with them not reading it. I really would am. You write, would you like them to read it? No, I don't need that. I don't need them to. If they want to, they can, but I don't need them to. I didn't write it for them. I wrote it for myself. My wider family, I think many of whom haven't read it, are quite angry about it, you know. So, um, you know, I went to do a reading back at Motherwell Library, which is a library that I used to go to when I was a kid. So it was kind of amazing to be going Mm. back to this library to talk about a book that I'd written. And I had to have security at that reading. Wow. I was like, you know, rushed Rushdie or something like that. You know, I had to have security at that meeting or because, we're better of, together. because of because of because of because <laughs> of because of threats um, because of threats that had been that real threats that had been made. You know, and that that felt horrible. And I really did think twice about doing that, but I decided I would to do it because there might be in that audience a younger version of me, and that I owed it to them to do it. So yeah, it's hard though. Um,
0: the gay thing mm. growing up in sort of, where you did. Um, how did you approach that? Because, uh, I mean, I, I mean I, the only similarity to my, to my upbringing is I grew up in a small village in a sort of very rural area, in essence very conservative with a small C. And I suppose I kind of always knew I was gay, but mm. could never really acknowledge it.
1: Were you the only gay in the village? Or whether other I suspect boys. I
0: wasn't, but, but uh, I know, I, if if there were any others, I still don't know who they were. <laughs> really? Okay.
1: I mean, I, I I'm I I was also sort of similarly isolated. I mean, there were boys at school who, some of whom later came out, some of whom later got married. You know, um, and that's that's pretty classic. But um, it's a really important part of of my story because it's about you know finding out who you are and and I realised. I learned, rather, that I was gay before... Well, how can I put this better? I was called names. I was called poof and queer and all these things, which made me realise that what I felt was different other outside Why do you think
0: that was? Because, I mean, let's put it this way, you you don't look like the archetypal (laughs) sort of camp queen who sometimes at school will be picked on. Even if they're not gay, people assume
1: that they are. Yeah, I, I don't... I think... I don't know, I, I, I don't know I can't think about what it was that they saw in me Or what it was that my stepfather saw in me That made him you know, treat me the same way mm. um, I, can't, I, I don't know, I can't think about what that was But I think, I think I was bookish I didn't like football, I was bookish I was tall, I was skinny You know, All of these things, my parents were divorced you know, My mum was a Catholic, my dad was a Protestant It's a big no-no in the west mm. of Scotland So there were lots of reasons for me to be other and I think when you're other the easiest name to call you yeah. is just poof. So you know that 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 was hard, and I do remember running into my mum and saying somebody's just called me this name. She'd what was it? And I told her. I said, oh, he called me a poof, and she and she said she didn't say that's not true or anything else. She just said who was it? You know, <laughs> which is like you know very typical of my mum. But I wanted it to be part of my story. I didn't want it in any sense to be branded a gay book. Like I didn't want it in any sense to be uh, a political book. Or a Scottish book. I didn't want to put it in any of those silos. I just wanted it to be a good book, mm. the best book that I could do. Um, and I think that what's interesting is, you know, seeing it reaching all those different constituencies, all those different audiences. Um, you know, and some and some gay people have really objected to it because they think it because it's in any way positive at all about Thatcher. Um, and lots of other gay people, ha, you know, have, have have identified with it. Mm. So you know.
0: I was talking to my partner the other day who was telling me that his god daughter was talking about sort of gays at her school and she said there's like loads of people, loads of kids who are gay and they're mm. quite open about it and mm. nobody blinks an eyelid. They're going to the sort of school prom together yeah. and sort of... and uh, I mean, that, w- that would have been unimaginable oh my god. in
1: your school years and certainly mine. Completely unimaginable. I mean, we got... Because of AIDS, which was the the other thing that happened, then uh, we did we did get taught about a, a bit about. So-called homosexuality at school, you know, but it was all in the context of you'll die. Put yeah. this put put it there, and you'll die, you know, and um, you know, and, and that was cheering and inspiring, and uh, and the, but there was no other way to talk about it, and because of Section Twenty Eight, you know, I was told by teachers that I went to talk to because of Section Twenty Eight, we can't talk to you about this really clearly, and I didn't know what it was. I had to go and research it and find out about it. So, I think that it's definitely changing in schools, and schools are much healthier, better environments for kids. But you know, still more. Tell us and other organisations tell us that there are still massive amounts of homophobic abuse and bullying, and we still see those kids, mm. you know, who, who are driven to self harm and to suicide because of it. And it is really bad as well because of social media. So I think that yes, it's got better, and in some, but in some ways it's also, uh, in some ways it's also got worse. But I was the first person at my school to come out, and I've gone back there since. And there are another boys and girls who are out, and I think that that's mm. amazing. And I mean, I'm also slightly jealous. <laughs> you know, I am also slightly jealous because I, ju- I, just sort of, you know, I just sort of think, wow, that would have been so cool to have been able to have a boyfriend at school. I mean, I just can't imagine what that but, would I mean, have been I c- like. I
0: can remember going to university and um, sort of the Freshers' Fair and, I yeah. were, um, and in my second year when I sort of people kind of knew who I was because I, I formed the sort of Conservative Association. Uh-huh. And, and I remember walking past the gay society, and um, I can I can actually picture it in my mind right now. This guy's name was Nick Crook, who's uh, I've actually been in touch with not not that long ago, and he said, um, "Come on, why don't you join the gay society?" I said, "Why well, not gay?" Yeah, and I was what hell was I then twenty, uh-huh. and I still couldn't in that even in that environment, very sort of I was a very left wing university in mm. the University of East Anglia. Um, and I've never forgotten that. And
1: How do you feel about that now, thinking about it now?
0: Um, I would love to have been able to sort of be exactly who I was. Um, and it wasn't until I was 40 that I... I mean, I sort of, I, that was when I came out to my parents. I mean, mm. it was sort of a very advanced age to do that. And...
1: And what prompted that? Why did you finally tell them?
0: It's a terrible reason, actually, because I decided to stand for Parliament, and I thought, well, I can't do this unless I'm open about it. So I made the decision that if I ever got halfway through a parliamentary selection, I'd have to tell them. So I got through to the second round of Chipping Barnet, Mm -hmm. and then I can remember the drive up the M11 to Saffron Walden, sort of going over in my mind what I was about to say, and I was absolutely dreading it, and... um, it uh, didn't go particularly well. <laughs> but anyway. Um, but I, And I wish I could have done that. And if I'd been that age now, of course I would have done it. Mm-hmm. But then, and this was, well, this was sort of the early 1980s, it was, it just couldn't have done mm.
1: No, I mean, I remember I I, I came out because uh, my, um, I was together reading um, at my uncle's wedding and, um, and he was getting married in Northern Ireland and I had to give a reading and I was being asked to read th- various leviticus type bits of the Bible which said that, you know, marriage was only between mm. a man and a woman. Uh, you know, and I remember saying to my mum, but, you know, it, it, wh- what if I didn't want to marry a woman? And she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, what if I wanted to marry a man? I mean, that wouldn't be fair. And, you know, that was kind of my way into doing it. And she was like, horrified. <laughs> um, so, you know, you know, we all do, I think we all do it at different reasons and different stages. But I think that the, the fact that, you know, now that is a narrative, that there is a narrative about it. You know, there are millions of videos on YouTube of people mm. coming out and, you know, um, and there's a whole kind of cultural conversation around it that just didn't exist. I mean, I think for us, it was, or at least I, speaking for myself, it was definitely about keeping a secret, whereas now it's about sharing uh, an aspect, um, a sharing, sharing a story, and I think that's a different. Yeah, thing. and I
0: think particularly if you're a bit older. There's the, the the other aspect is that you've lied to people all your life. You've lied to close family. You've lied to close friends. So, mm. I mean, I then had to go around all my friends from university and various other people,
1: and and they all said, "Oh, we knew already." Well, half of, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of them did. Yeah.
0: Um, some of them didn't, and they they were absolutely fine. Um, I mean, there was, there was there was one that had a bit of a struggle with it, um, but. And, Of course, everyone says, "Oh well, your parents will already know," but they didn't, and mm. I knew they didn't because mm, mm. I mean, you, you know what you know. Your sure, parents, you know what you know, yeah. And that that well, that was that that was quite difficult.
1: I mean, my parents, my parents did already did already know, I think, but you know, it's, it's even being told something you know is, mm. it, you know, until that moment you can make all kinds of excuses for yourself. But I, I think that in the book, though, um, I don't actually come out on the page. Um, I, there isn't a coming out scene. Um, and that's because it wasn't the most interesting aspect for me of 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 coming to terms Mm. with who I was, you know, I wanted to write about you know going out to a gay club for the first time when I was underage and how you found other gay people then, which was in the back of contact adverts in in the local free sheet, you know. So there was people sort of selling you know old budget cages and secondhand Ford Capris, and then at the back there were people sort of saying all these coded acronyms which I couldn't work out. So you know, so I wanted to talk about that, and again, that's a historic moment. You know, we can't go back to that. Um, and living through that shapes you as a person. Just as somebody who's coming out now in an age of Grinder and or, and all these other apps has a totally different experience.
0: You're absolutely right. Because I mean, when when I first um, entered the world of gaydom, I, I mean, I was 28. I didn't mm-hmm. do anything before I was 28. And you thought, what? Well, how do you sort of? I mean, if you go to a club, I mean, and I mean, I, I remember I did actually do the sort of the personal ads in Time Out. Oh, it was oh absolutely what? quite a thrill to get, like, 70 letters from all these men.
1: You must have written a good ad to get 70 <laughs> letters. That's very impressive. I didn't put a picture. I didn't put a picture. <laughs> I mean, and it's totally different now. Totally different. Totally different. Much more transactional, much faster, um, uh, and I think has, it, has its own has its own challenges. But I cannot imagine what that would be like to just instantly sort of be in contact, connected to, to all those different people, in some ways very liberating, in other ways quite terrifying. Clinical as well. Very clinical, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, enough of all of this. Yes. Um, what are your
0: three books that you're going to recommend to people to read on holiday?
1: So there are three great books coming out this summer, um, all very different. Um, all involved is a big, sprawling novel about the LA riots. Um, and it's by Ryan Gattis, and it's very intense, very violent. And basic the basic premise is there was something like you know sixty deaths reported over four or five days of writing, and of course the true death toll was much higher. Um, and through immersing himself in in gangs and former gangs, Ryan discovers that this was this scenario chaos was used to actually carry out all these. Um, you know, long-held grudges, and it's really about how it's not just about the gangs, it's about every level of society and how we're all involved in creating mm. this culture of violence in America it's really intense and it is it is quite uh, scary uh, but it's a brilliant book um, also intense but for different reasons is I Saw a Man by Owen Shears which is about it's partly set in Leafy Hampstead um, and it's about the effect of a drone strike um, in Pakistan and this idea that these drones are unmanned, and of course they're not unmanned. There's, you know, there are more people operating a drone than there are flying a plane. Um, and it's about the effect um, or, on all those people um, of the, the, the deaths that are caused by the drone strike and the effects on the families of those who are killed and how they're felt all around the world in all these different ways. Um, and it's given the structure of a thriller. Book. My,
0: my partner bought me a drone for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do with it? I don't think it's a killer one. Though. It's not a killer one. You no, know, you sort of take videos, and it, I mean, we actually haven't dared open it yet. But I, I, it's quite fascinating. Do you don't need a license for it. Do no, you? as long as there are there are CAA rules on where you can fly them. Um, but I know that sort of the first thing I'll do is crash it. Yeah, of course you will. So, or lose it, or it'll be sort of taken away by a seat I, I mean, car. I said, well, why don't we sort of, like, go take it to a beach or something, then it's, it can't hit anything. Um, but we, we haven't dared open the you box You would be yet. saying that if you were
1: sunbathing. <laughs> um, and then the last book is, is also a memoir, and it's by a woman called Cathy Rensenbrink, and it's called The Last Act of Love. Um, again, another intense read, but everybody's going to be talking about this book. It had a huge review in the Sunday Times this weekend and in The Guardian. Um, and it's the story of a brother and a sister um, and the brother is run over by a car um, and he uh, is in a coma for a really long time and it's about how the family copes with that and how the family changes and their eventual decision that they take to. and it's in the era of Tony Bland so sort of the pioneering legal decision uh, to, to, to switch off um, and withhold all the, the life support uh, and it's potentially really bleak and potentially really dark but it's actually very funny and it's about a brother and a sister um, and you know, by the end of it yes I was in tears but I was also crying out of happiness that this woman had found this kind of new life for herself. So three really different quite intense books but you know, the books that you do want to be seen reading this summer. So two years on from Maggie and Me, are you, are you writing... Another one. Is, well, I was going to say sequel. I don't know why I thought of that. But I mean, I'm not sure you can do a sequel to um, Major Me, Major Major Minor. Um, no, I'm 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 not. Uh, writing another memoir. The book has been being optioned for television, so I've been involved a bit with with how that's going, and that's interesting. Um, and I've started another book, um, which I've been thinking about for a while, um, which is a novel, which is based on real events, based on real historical events, and based on something that that really happened to me as a kid. Um, and it's kind of joining the dots between sort of the big history and my own That's personal That's quite a history. jump,
0: isn't it? Because um, writing a, a sort of memoir is very different from writing a novel. How, wh- why did you think that you, writing a novel ought to be the next step?
1: I didn't. I've, I thought for ages about writing a, a memoir which picks up where, my, where Maggie and me leaves off. Because uh, there are lots of unanswered questions at the end of the book. And I think I will write another memoir, but I don't want to write another memoir now um because... (laughs) <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, I'm completely tired of talking about myself <laughs> I, uh, fascinating as I am, I want to talk about other people um, and I think that it's interesting this idea that novel writing and, and memoir writing are so very different I think actually at the centre of both of them is a story in a memoir you are crafting a story it's not an inventory of your life it's not everything that happened and if it is it's probably not very good, it's a story with a beginning a middle and an end, um, and a novel is the same, and I think there's a Venn diagram where they cross over and that's with emotional truth and I think the best novels Feel true, and that's what I want to try and try and do. And, with this and when novel. you told
0: your agent and publisher you wanted to do a novel, were, were they did they embrace it or did they try and persuade you not to do it?
1: I haven't told them yet. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm to now. I, I'm, I've, I've casually mentioned it to my agent. I haven't mentioned it to my publisher. <laughs> um, but you know, it's 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 what feels it's what's wanting to be done, and I think you know it's the thing that's that i can 't stop thinking about is this story um, and again it 's a story a, a story that partly revolves around the relationship between two boys um but i just i just can 't stop thinking about them and and I, I you know i I want, I want to tell the story again you know it's, whether it gets published, whether people read it or not is a whole mm-hmm. different thing, but as with the memoir, I felt completely compelled to do it, and now this is really all i want to this is really all I want to do is to kind of lock myself away and find out what happens to these two boys. look forward to it. Thank you. Thank
0: you very much. Damien's book is called Maggie and Me. It's available at politicos.co.uk.